Merry Christmas. Oh, sounds pretty good in here. Everybody's happy. We're just 24 hours away from uh, all the gifts, the celebration, all the food at the table. Come on now. This sounds nice. Well, on behalf of the pastors, the administration, the deacons, and the elders of Waterloo Pentecostal Assembly, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. And this morning, I want to extend our Reasons for the Season series just for one more Sunday, just until this Sunday. And over the last month, we have talked about several things. We've talked about how Jesus came to fulfill the law, how Jesus came to seek and save the lost, how Jesus came to testify of the truth, how Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And today, I want to share with you about how Jesus came to fulfill prophecy. Now, our scripture this morning comes from Revelation 19, verse 10. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Lucky for you today, you have one verse to read, just one single verse. So if you're a guest with us, you're like, yeah, okay, what's the big you know, deal here? Uh, for those who are here regularly, they read a lot and a lot of scripture. And uh, so we have this one single verse that we're going to read together in one voice. It's on the screen behind me. It's on your screen at home. Would you read together with me in one voice? Okay, wait, hold on. Let me make sure I got where I am. Okay, here we go. Let's go. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Very good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word from Revelation 19. We thank you for prophecy. We thank you that you're a God who has spoken and fulfilled your word. You're a God who speaks prophetically and fulfills your word in our day and in our time. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would help us focus our attention on Jesus. In this place, in this hour we share, would you, we, we elevate the name of Jesus, which is above every other name. Let everyone hear today that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the reason for the season. And so, God, we thank you for your presence that is here with us now. We thank you for your presence that comes to us through the preaching of your word. And I pray that as I stand before your people, that you would enable me by your Holy Spirit to speak words of life, words of truth, words that elevate Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you for your presence now and for your blessing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. What comes to your mind when you hear the word prophecy? Some of you think of the worst case scenario right away. You think the end times, all those crazy events that are going to happen, the judgments of God. Others think of special foreknowledge or special foretelling of future events. Not necessarily a message of doom and gloom, but it could be an encouraging message that God has for his people. Biblical prophecy is all about confirmation. Without fulfillment, prophecy remains mere words. And so we are longing for once a prophetic word is given or shared in scripture, or even in present day, we are waiting for its fulfillment in order for there to be confirmation. Now, some prophecies were fulfilled over short periods of time, and other prophecies were fulfilled over long periods of time. Throughout the Old Testament, we find numerous prophecies. And mainly these prophecies are communicated through the major and the minor prophets of the Old Testament. 
throughout the New Testament, in particular the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find the fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies. And hundreds of years separate these prophecies from their fulfillment. Yet they were given for the purpose, the purpose of revealing the promised Messiah to the Jews, to the people of Israel, and ultimately to the people of the world. Now, again, this might not be the most Christmassy text. I've been confessing that throughout this series. But I think it is helpful in proving that the function of all messianic prophecy, all prophecy about Christ, is to enhance our understanding of and our worship of Christ. In context, in Revelation, this verse reminds us that there is nothing special about the messenger of prophecy. There's nothing special about the man or the woman who might share a prophetic word. But there is something special about the divine person who is the subject of much of prophecy. The Jews remind us that you can have all the spirit-inspired messages and yet somehow you can still miss the Messiah. This morning, I want to show you how Jesus' birth fulfilled three Old Testament prophecies just in the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel. And in particular, we will look to three prophets who were the contemporaries of one another. We have Isaiah, we have Micah, and Hosea. Let's begin with the first point to fulfill the words of Isaiah. And we find this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. And the scripture says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Already we see rewinding the tape, going backwards. And the quote begins in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here is the apostle Matthew and he's quoted Isaiah 7, 14. The scripture in that context says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this prophecy had a literal meaning for Isaiah and for King Ahaz during their time. But it also had a figurative and messianic meaning for Jesus's time. This is how some of prophecy works. Now, this prophetic word was clear that the conception of Jesus was a miracle. In the Bible, we have stories, tons and tons of stories, stories of the birth of children. But here in the Bible, I want to focus on the stories of seniors giving birth. Now, all the seniors in the room are like, uh, hold on now. I didn't sign up for this, Pastor. Well, it's in the Bible. Consider Abraham and Sarah. That in Genesis 17, 17, we read that Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Well, in the Bible, we also have stories of not only seniors giving birth, but barren women finally giving birth. Consider Hannah and Elkanah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, we read these words. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now the Lord who had closed Hannah's womb is also the same Lord who had opened Hannah's womb. Amen? 
And both of these Old Testament examples are really echoed in the New Testament example of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're found in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, where it says, In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Here we have a couple that are very old and a couple that is barren. It's important that we understand that Mary is different from Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mary was young and she was not barren. She was engaged to be married to Joseph and the prospect of becoming a mother was in her near future. I'm sure she had dreams and aspirations. Nevertheless, she was favored by God and blessed among all women to be the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 35, Mary respectfully, she questioned the angel named Gabriel. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, the impossible was made possible by the Holy Spirit and the Most High God. And it required the participation of the three persons of the Trinity. We see Father and we see Son in the womb and the Holy Spirit. This was not sexual in nature. This was supernatural indeed. This is the power of God, my friends. And the season of Christmas is the celebration of the greatest miracle. That's what we're celebrating today. The greatest miracle the world has ever known. Now, this prophetic word also gave revelation to the meaning of Jesus' name. Now, Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. And it is derived from Joshua or Yehoshua. And he was named in honor of the Old Testament character who led the Israelites into the promised land. And the meaning of his name is Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh is deliverance. That's the meaning of his name. Now God through Isaiah, he revealed another name for this child of virgin birth. That his name would be called Emmanuel. And it's actually Matthew who tells us that Emmanuel means God with us. Are you in trouble and do you need someone to save you today? Friends, his name is Jesus. Do you feel alone and need someone to come alongside of you today? To presence themselves in your midst? His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophetic names of Jesus, they foreshadow the reason why Jesus came and who he can be for us in this season of Christmas, but also throughout the course of our lives, that he is our God, our salvation. He is our God, our deliverer. He is God with us. Amen. Secondly, today to fulfill the words of Micah, and we see this in Matthew chapter two, verses five to six, where it says, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Once again, rewinding the tape. 
And the quote begins, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Once again, the Apostle Matthew, he is quoting scripture. He has quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In its original context, it says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel. And I love this next part. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. It's beautiful. This prophecy had literal meaning for Micah's time, for King Jotham, King Ahaz, King Hezekiah, for their time. But it also had a figurative and messianic meaning for Jesus' time. And this prophetic word geographically situated Jesus' birthplace as that town of Bethlehem. Now it's important to understand who was asking what questions in Matthew chapter 2. The Magi first asked in Matthew 2, verse 2, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these Magi were not Jews. They were Gentile astrologers, wise men. And it was God who had revealed the location of Jesus' birth by means of a star that Gentiles may seek him. And their inquiry was not for the sake of their study. Their inquiry was for the sake of worship. Now, Herod is a different story. After asking the Magi and not receiving a good answer, Herod sought an answer in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. You need to understand, even though Herod was a Jew, he had no knowledge of the scriptures. He had no clue about Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And he needed others to inform his knowledge. Herod's inquiry was not for the sake of worship, but to eliminate the threat by murder. So we go through this passage, this prophetic word depicted Jesus as a ruler. At the time of Jesus' birth, of course, there were many rulers. The Romans were ruling. Herod was ruling. Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee. Herod was ruler in Judea. But he was not a real king. He was a puppet king. He was posted there by the Romans who occupied their land. And Herod was extremely insecure about his personal leadership. And when Jesus' arrival on earth took place, Herod all of a sudden was afraid of his kingship being stolen from him, that Jesus would pose a challenge to Herod's rule. No doubt this newborn baby was of royal lineage, making him the true king of the Jews. But he's not only depicted as a ruler, he's also depicted, this prophetic word depicted Jesus as a shepherd. Now Jesus was not sent to be a dictator leader, but to be a shepherd king. He was as highly as a ruler, but as lowly as a shepherd. And the imagery helps us understand the nature of his tender care for his people, for Israel, for his flock, for all of us today. That right from the beginning, we understand the risk involved in being identified as a shepherd, for he would have to give up his life and be willing to lay it down 
not just for one, but for many. There are two questions for us to ask ourselves this morning. And the first is this, is Jesus the ruler of your heart? Is Jesus the ruler of your heart? And the second question is this, is Jesus the shepherd of your soul? Is Jesus the shepherd of your soul? For the roles and the responsibilities that would characterize Jesus' life and ministry were all tied to the prophetic location of his birth, being born in Bethlehem. And thirdly, today, to fulfill the words of Hosea. We see this in Matthew 2, verses 14 to 15. And the scripture says, so he got up, that is Joseph. He got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Again, rewinding the tape. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The Apostle Matthew here, he is quoting Hosea 11 verse 1. Where it says in the original context, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And this prophecy, again, had literal meaning for Hosea's time. And for King Uzziah and King Jotham and King Ahaz and King Hezekiah during their time. But it also had a figurative and messianic meaning for Jesus' time. While we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we need to also recognize that Jesus could have died shortly after his birth. Isn't that true? If we read the story as it reads on past the nativity into the early years of Jesus, we see that his life was threatened on many occasions. God warned Joseph through an angel of the Lord in a dream to relocate his young family to that place called Egypt. And in doing so, here is Jesus being connected with the identity of his people, the Israelites, and their story of travail through that land. Egypt played a twofold purpose. The Israelites moved to the land of Goshen during the leadership of Joseph in Genesis. And that was the season marked by blessing. They later moved out about 400 years later out of Egypt during the time of Moses and Exodus. And that was a season marked by bondage. And the past Exodus here was being compared with the new possibility for Exodus through Jesus. To continue to meditate on this scripture and this quotation, the emphasis in this verse is on sonship. That Jesus is the one and only son of God the Father. Jesus is the one and the only son. And here God is prophetically possessive of Jesus. And he is not ashamed to say, he's my son. That's my boy. That's my son. And he's here on a purpose. God is also prophetically protective over Jesus. And the heavenly father, we see him here directing Jesus' earthly father as to when and where to go in order to keep his boy safe. In the New Testament, we find many verbal statements that affirm the prophetic promise here. That you will remember God's voice at the moment of Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3.17 saying, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You'll also remember God's voice at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 verse 5 saying, Again, once again, this is my son, 
whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then there's this addition. Look at, the, look at this. Listen to him. Are we listening to Jesus this morning? Can we hear his voice? For just as God, like a father, led Israel in and out of Egypt, so too God as a father led Jesus in and out of Egypt. And now it is Jesus who can lead you and me out of our bondage into our blessing. Isn't that true? Jesus is able. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the stage and we're going to prepare to close this morning. And as they come, Jesus' ministry on earth was often described as fulfilling three roles. This would be good to memorize for you. If you want to memorize three roles of Jesus in scripture, Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, and Jesus is king. This is something we all should know about Jesus. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And we're focusing on Jesus as prophet. That he was not only the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's much more than that. Jesus himself is a prophet. And there were many things that Jesus said during his life and during his ministry that were prophetic in nature. In fact, Jesus, he prophesied about himself. I love that. Jesus prophesied about himself in John 14, verses 2 to 4. And he says this, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, and here it is, I will come back and take you to be with me. This is the prophecy of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go... But my desire is, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. That you may also, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Why? Because you know me, Jesus. Friends, as surely as he came, so he will come again. We believe that. He will come again. He came as a baby the first time, but the second time, he comes as the ruler and the reigning king. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in this present moment? What are we supposed to do in this present moment as we live between the incarnation, the birth of Jesus in the past, and the second coming of Jesus, which is in the future? What are we supposed to do? We are to do what the beginning of Revelation 19.10 says. We are to worship God. That's it. Your life, my life, the ultimate purpose and goal of our lives is to worship God. That's what we do right now. That's what we've been doing this morning. That's what we do every Sunday at this church. That's what we should do as believers every day of our lives. We worship God! Exclamation mark. You know, we have gathered this morning to worship the miracle of Christ, Jesus born of a virgin. We gather this morning to worship the presence of Christ, which is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We gather this morning to worship in the history of Christ, that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We gather this morning to worship the royalty of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We gather today and we worship because of the heart of Christ, that Jesus is our shepherd. We gather today and we worship the divinity of Christ because Jesus is the Son of God. 
And this is who we worship. And this is who we adore. Friends, Christmas is all about Jesus, all about promises being fulfilled. I might promise something to you and it might fail. And you might promise something to me and it may fail. But when Jesus makes a promise, when God makes a promise, it will never fail. It will always be fulfilled in his time. And he is the one of whom all prophecy bears testimony. It brings glory to Jesus. And today this shows us that the past that we read about in the Bible and the present that we live in currently and the future which is unknown to us, all of them are interconnected through one person, Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. For from him in the past and through him in the present and for him in the future are all things. What do we do this Christmas? We worship him. We worship. That's the beautiful responsibility we have as people who are saved by the blood of Jesus, as people who confess our belief and faith in him, we worship. We're a people who worship. Can you bow your heads in prayer with me today?